From Mississippi State University in Starkville, Mississippi, this is Taking the Reins Podcast. If you love all things horses, get ready for a relatable and educational look into the lives of horses and the people who love them. Now here's our host, Clay Cavender. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Taking the Reins. This episode of the Taking the Reins podcast is entitled The Outside of a Horse. It's going to explore the horse-human interaction. I have three really good guests to ex- discuss this idea. Dr. Molly Nicodemus is an associate professor in our department here in uh, Mississippi State University. Dr. Katie Holcamp is owner and entrepreneur of Dogwood Equine Center. And then Molly Friend, who is a graduating Master's of Science student in our department, is also headed to Penn State University to pursue a Ph.D. I sat down with these three ladies and discussed uh, their just personal accounts, their backgrounds, their emotions and feelings about horse ownership and involvement. And I think you'll be really surprised at what they had to say and probably connect a lot to what they had to say. So without further ado, here I am talking to these three ladies. Who's is this? Is this, this yours? This is me. So fancy. I know. You know, wow. it's, it's like anything. I, if you're going to do it. Do it well. I wound up, this is funny, I'll tell you before we really get into this. I, when I started putting the intro together, I started mm-hmm. thinking like, okay, it just organic, organically happened. I got to the end and I was like, you know what? I've always told my judging teams, anything we're doing is hard to do. Because mm. I've been, I thought this was a great idea until it started really getting close. And <laughs> mm-hmm. then I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> Why am I doing this? I'm not good at this. I can't do this. But I thought, dang it. In my 30s, I never thought that way. I just jumped in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now 40-something, I'm going to jump in. So we're going to try to do this the best we can. And um, I don't know. We'll see where it goes. But we are recording, by the way, so you're good. All right, so here's what I think. I think um, I wanted to. I wanted to title this and did The Outside of a Horse because – there's something about, you know, Churchill's accredited with that as far as saying that I think there's a lot of debate of who, if he really did say that or not. A lot of people take some credit for it. But the outside of a horse, there's something about the outside of a horse that's good for the inside of a man. And I, mm. I, I remember hearing that maybe sometime in my college era. And I thought, man, that makes a lot of sense because standing in the barn cleaning stalls is therapeutic for me for some reason. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that was. Uh, but that's what I think is the most important. That's, that's where this podcast is kind of going is I want to talk to people who are interested in the same things we all are, and that's horses. But how are they bettering? How are they helping us be better people? And so when we start talking about the outside of a horse, you three were the first people I thought about because this is the area of research you've been in, in, involved in. This is the area that you're making a living in. This is the area you're making a career out of. And so I think it's a really great place to start. So. We'll get into some of that topic, but um, I wanted to ask this first. So if you were asked this question, what would be your just a natural feedback response? What draws so many people to horses or what are the attributes to riding horses? We all have an idea about that, but what do you guys think about that? And we'll, let's start Molly France. We're going to have trouble today. We've got, <laughs> we've got Molly <laughs> Nicodemus, uh, who's the professor here, and we've got Molly Friend, who's the student of Molly Nicodemus, the professor. So, uh, and then we'll just we'll just go Molly the student, Molly the professor, and figure <laughs> Call it, it a out day. from there. Yeah, but that'll work. Molly the student. What do you think is one of the reasons that people are drawn to horses? I don't know. I mean, growing up, like whenever I got the chance to ride, it was always like a huge confidence boost being on the back of a horse. I mean, 
like as I mean like a 12 13 year old girl like I was on a thousand pound animal and going over fences and so I think it's like a huge confidence boost and um I mean I also think that there's a lot of lessons in riding horses that I don't know I I think the confidence and the wholesome education it gives you so. So if, you're, if you're especially if you're a young lady that's the thing I have two sisters and I never met another young lady who wasn't in love with some horses in some capacity in some point of their life and that may have waned as old as they were older but you got a 1200 pound animal and a 80 pound young lady where does that confidence come from uh, because the animal's so big you think it'd be almost intimidating and there's this fear or respect i guess fear could be a good thing too but confidence why do you think confidence is there a particular point of conquering a fear i think there is i also think like I mean, as someone who was always like quieter growing up, I think that, you know, like confidence and like being able to be quiet and communicate with a horse was always a big thing to me. Um, because like, I, I don't know, being able to, you know, work with a horse that's like flighty or whatever, because I have a quieter nature always gave me a lot of confidence because the ones who scared everyone else, you know, I, I worked really well with. And um, so I, I think that that was always a big part of it. And then I also think, you know, I was a kid whenever I started riding like 11 or 12 and so you kind of naturally have a little bit more fear fearlessness than you have you know whenever the bruises don't heal as fast but um, for sure yeah but I don't know I do think that there's a place at which you you try something new and find that you fail and then once you try again and again succeed I think that that's kind of the point well Dr. Katie's our entrepreneur of the group and I've got a specific question for you in just a little bit but kind of an icebreaker here what do you think draws people what do you see in your day-to-day -day life that brings that draws people maybe it's kids adults uh you know and that's the other thing that's interesting about horses is some people come to it later in life some people early on but what do you think it is that's that draw or pull to me it draws everybody back into almost their family lineage because everybody has a story about my great grandpappy had a horse that i got to see when i was two or uh, my granddaddy used to take me out to pet his old horse named bud and go riding down the street together or um, my family took me to the rodeo and i got to see the horses so it kind of pulls us back into a way of life when everything was simpler and everybody was a little bit more focused on family and it just kind of I see it with clients every day of the week. They'll stop and say, oh, this reminds me of when and when times were not so hard when uh, specifically when I work with A&D, um, when my drug addiction before that had started or whatever it may be. Um, it just kind of reminds them back of home and that idea that family can be the most important and that the horses were the center point of that. Kind of a nostalgic pull, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and not, you say simpler time. I think about, I, I always say this, I grew up in the 80s, and so um, that was a great time. I feel so sorry for like my daughter who's growing up today and has so many different, I think what it is is the pull. You got, mm -hmm. you got cell phones, you got movies, you got, and not only movies, but you got like a hundred different channels to choose from, a million movies to watch straight from your living room. Right. And back then, we didn't have anything except playing outside with sticks and rocks and riding horses and bareback most of the time and just having a good time. And so I think I would agree with that too. It's just this nostalgic pull to that. Mm -hmm. Well, Dr. Nicodemus is the other one too that we'll get a chance to hear from a lot today. And so we all have our own stories, but what would you say to that as far as what was your personal draw to horses? Well, you know, first of all, I'd say the community as a whole, there's this new 
kind of this mystique of horses and out west and whatnot. We're seeing all of these big westerns and the, you know, you got Yellowstone and whatnot. So uh, you see a lot of people wanting to go back to whatever it is that's associated with horses, that out west, that being connected to the environment, being connected to um, animals and that. And so I think it is that draw of going back to a more simplistic time. Um, and so you're seeing people that maybe, you know, our focus and our research focus is more on the therapeutic side. I think people are just going back to it um, and getting involved more and more because of just that that feeling of what you felt when you're out west and you're conquering the land and conquering this thousand pound animal and that empowerment that comes with it. Um, on a personal note, so then you've opened up a whole can of worms of where mine started. Um, I got involved with horses personally um, because I was diagnosed at eight years old with type 1 diabetes. So, you know, my father passed away from Lou Gehrig's disease, and immediately after that, I started to go downhill, and it was quite rapid and quite scary. Um, in fact, right after my father's funeral, we flew to Fort Collins, Colorado. I feel very blessed I was there because um, I was hospitalized. And, you know, the doctor at that time, again, I'm an old timer. So when you're diagnosed with type one diabetes, at that time, it was a death sentence. And I can remember the doctor um, holding my mother and saying, I'm sorry, but, and at that time, my mother was so desperate. Any parent will know when your kid's diagnosed with something, that desperation. Speaking to the doctor, he said, you know, there's two things I want you to continue with your daughter and one was swimming um and so you know before we could get back my mom was already having a pool built in our backyard and the other thing was riding horses that was very cutting edge but luckily our doctor was working with colorado state university and so obviously in equine school they were already talking about and doing research but there wasn't a lot of work concerning therapeutic riding in the United States at that time. So this was really new and unique but my mother found a place outside of San Antonio, Texas, and it was Texas Lions Camp, and they had not only a diabetic camp, which was unheard of at the time, but also had a, what we call back then a therapeutic riding program. Today, we use all different types of terms, but they, she sent me immediately, got home, and pretty much shipped her diabetic child off to this camp, and that was my first experience with the horse. And it was, as Molly was talking about, the whole confidence side of it. Here I was, my confidence not only didn't, was I've figuring I was going to die, literally from not only watching my father die, but also seeing the doctor and my mother and how she reacted, I knew I was going to die. Um, and I felt so alone and afraid in that. And getting up on that horse for the first time, I can remember to this day, I felt so empowered, so confident, so normal. Um, and I forgot about everything that was weighing me down. And not only that, but I also felt physically the best I had ever felt after I rode horses. And so when I came back and shouted my love to about horses, which I tell my students, my mother probably regrets she ever put me on a horse because it created this whole crazy train. Um, she set me up with, there was no therapy programs in the Houston area at the time. She set me up with a nurse who was a pediatric nurse that specialized in diabetes, but she was also a competitive hunter-jumper rider. So I took lessons with her, but I didn't realize that there was more a therapeutic approach to this whole thing. Loved it, 
fell in love with it. In fact, I ended up um, going to Missouri State on equestrian team scholarship. And again, never realized, and I think that's something probably Katie would say about her therapy center, is a lot of these kids that come into that program don't even think of it as therapy. And that's what's so special about it. They're more focused on the horse and the enjoyment of it. And my focus all along was the physical side. Well, it wasn't until as a parent that I realized more the emotional side of it. And that really well, let's, is let's something cut that right I've, there because yeah. I think the emotional side is something we want to, I want to explore here yeah. in just a minute, but you mentioned something, the same thing, Molly, the student mentioned, that's the confidence aspect yes. of what this builds. And I've seen that so much in just how even college age students start to interact Definitely. with the horse for the first time. They go from teaching Molly's taught the, Molly, the students taught the intro to horsemanship labs, and we've all been a part of those. And you can see it in there where they go mm -hmm. from, I don't know anything, mm -hmm. kind of scared of this thing, to the very end, they're loping. Yeah. You know, yeah. And so you see it really quickly develop. And I think that's kind of what we're getting to. I, I want to I mention five things that um, I wrote down as far as to answer that question. I think we've, we've hit on a couple of them. As far as what draws people to horses, maybe not our own experiences necessarily, but entertainment i think they looking yeah. for the fun factor mm -hmm. which is interesting because i don't know that i find horses necessarily entertaining because there's a <laughs> lot of work enjoyment kind of that same thing people think it's going to be the nostalgia you mentioned right. is it's going to be this fun factor right mm -hmm. maybe not be reality but is there relaxation which i find very interesting because it's again a lot of work interaction with horses everyone likes kind of that nostalgia stress relief mm-hmm the stress relief part of it. And that's where it kind of draws me. So I want to, I want to quickly jump in with the whole, to kind of reiterate what Molly Nicodemus said here was this experience that she saw people. I was judging the Palomino world years ago. Didn't know anything. This is probably 2006, seven, eight, somewhere in that capacity had zero interest or idea of what therapeutic riding was all about. I had my own story, but it wasn't a disability story. It was just a stress relief story. But um, they asked us at lunchtime one day if there was a group of judges that would come out and they were going to take these students of a therapeutic riding program, bring them into the arena. They were going to ride the horses around, introduce them, talk about them, kind of pump therapeutic riding. So I go out there and this they led these people in on their horses and they would give a small introduction of what they were about. And I remember this one guy, he was my age at the time, which was probably 33 or 4 at the time. He had spent his whole life mute. And I can't remember what his disability was, but he never spoken a word in his entire life. And at the age of like 28, 29, they put him in a therapeutic writing program. And within a week, he spoke his first word. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, there's maybe there's something to it. And you cannot help but have your heartstrings pulled mm -hmm. when you start hearing those kind of stories and you think of these these horses that are the... We don't even talk about them, but they're the they're the heroes here. You know, they're the ones packing people around and having this effect. So that kind of leads us to this whole idea of mm -hmm. what's going on mentally, what what's going on physically, what is the interaction here, and so I think that's a great transition into um, this whole idea of how we got all of us got involved with with uh, with this story. So I'll go back to Molly, the student. What is what is the thing? I asked this. I asked this of you in your defense. What is the thing about horses? So there's so many people that can claim. We can all claim. We've we've heard those stories. But could we do this with a dog? Could we do this with a cat? Could we do this with my pet guinea pig? You know, what is the thing about horses then? 
Yeah, I think, I still think one of the things would be like partially like the, the confidence of it. I mean, you don't get that much confidence from asking a dog to move around, you know, I mean, they're pretty domesticated, you know, and work with us pretty easily, but a horse is very large and not always super cooperative. But then I also think, you know, in like a lot of like the reading for my research, they talked about horses as like biofeedback machines, mm -hmm. which I think like having been out there with like Katie and seeing people um, interact with them in like a therapeutic setting, I think is, I mean, a pretty good explanation for, for I mean, anecdotally for a lot. Um, and so like what that means biofeedback machine would be, you know, like as humans, we exhibit some sort of behavior that may not be, be verbal, may just be, you know, like tensing your muscles or, or at moving in a certain way. And the horse picks up on that. And because they're a very large prey animal, you know, it's in a very big visual way typically. Um, or even if it's not in that big of a way, they react. And so I think like having that kind of like feedback and communication, even in a nonverbal way, um, kind of, I mean, in a therapeutic setting works to be able to let the therapist, you know, speak to what may not have been verbalized um, and help the person move through that. But I also just think is, you know, pretty impactful. And do you see the same things, you know, anecdotally from your business as far as um, do you think from your experience with horses, Katie, that uh, could could we do this with a dog or with a cat or with any other animal? Is there the special sense of the horse? The thing that's special about the horse is that they mirror human society. Um, they don't necessarily mirror our emotions immediately. That's one big thing that I hear that's absolutely incorrect. If I go show fear to a horse, they're not necessarily going to show fear back at me. They may show confusion or less willingness, but they're not going to just, if I jump out and say boo, they're not going to say boo right back. Um, versus if I jump out there and say, oh, I'm really happy today, they're probably also going to be like a little wary as to why I'm just so energetic around them. But what they do show is that they, when they mimic that human society I can see the clicks that I also experience when I walk into a classroom I can see how this dynamic in one pasture if I take one horse out and put him in another pasture then that dynamics gonna shift if I walk into a classroom sometimes I'm the student of the classroom sometimes I'm the teacher of that classroom and understanding I can go from one classroom to the next and that dynamic may shift within five minutes um, but what the horses have is that range of emotion dogs cats they all have emotions you can see when the dog's scared when the dog's happy but you can't necessarily see specific emotions. You kind of see the umbrella of they're mad, they're happy. But with horses, you can look at them without knowing them, without having a prior relationship with them. And you can see that horse is confused or that horse is maybe a little cautious right now or that one is enjoying this or there's relief on their face. And so we can get to the heart of the matter faster because there's a whole, they're more human-like in that. But also they don't have, I love, they don't have the portion of the brain that forms judgment. And so when the horse is telling you something, when they're showing I'm scared of you, it's not because, oh, you you remind me of somebody previous. They do it based on pattern, but they also do it, as Molly was saying, with that biofeedback. They're sitting there, they're taking what you're giving them, and they're making an opinion right there, not based on who your mama is or how much money you have or what your hair looks like. It's based on what you're giving them. And so they're just a very honest creature. And, and how do you think that differs from the from a dog then? Because a dog's willingness is to please, right? I don't think I personally don't think, from my experiences and seeing that horses have any, I don't think they are predominantly inclined to please, so to speak. Uh, but I think you're right. Like the more they're they're more honest. They're very Absolutely. direct, black and white creatures. But a dog is willing to please, right? So mm -hmm. I think the horse may be somewhere between a dog and a cat. You know, like <laughs> absolutely. A cat doesn't care at all. A dog does, but. 
Um, so I think that's interesting that you're saying that they're giving you this feedback quick. How quickly do you see that people pick up on that or do they just, I think as students, uh, the students we see, they don't pick up on that. They don't pick up on that feedback real quick. They tend to want to be uh, the lesser of the pair mm-hmm. and let the horse kind of push them around. Just just go out and hang out with a horse that a student who doesn't know much has been hanging out with, and they're going to be pushing on you, stepping on your feet, and you know trying to pull the leader up out of your hand. So do you see that with people that are very first introduced into therapy? Right? Maybe you can go back to, to you, Dr. Nicodemus, about your emotional thought process as you were a student of this at one time. Was the horse overpoweringly taking away from you in terms of how you reacted with him, or did you quickly pick up on how to get him to do what you wanted to do? Well, I think that you don't pick up on as much as because they create kind of, and Katie term, uh, coined this term, emotional safety. And I think you feel safe with that horse very early on that you can allow for maybe that pushing around and um, that obnoxiousness or whatnot because you feel like you're a part of that herd and whatnot. It, it creates that equine environment, and we've seen that multiple times over with our studies. And like I said, I have to attribute Katie, this is her term, this emotional safety or emotional safe environment that we can allow for that even if we're afraid of the horse or whatnot, somehow that interaction with the horse, we feel safe enough to allow for not only ourselves, but also the horse to express themselves um, openly and honestly. And, and that's really unique when you think about it's an a thousand pound animal and somehow we are letting them step on our feet and stumble around on top of a, you know, and, and just be obnoxious at sometimes depending on the horse um, because of that environment, that emotional safe environment that allows for us to learn in a safe environment allow for us to make mistakes and fail and feel safe within that environment I think that's very important to realize that we can do that versus when we're interacting with a dog or whatnot there's a this whole different approach and that that was one thing again I would say from the physical side of my own personal experience I was more focused on the physical side it was as a parent when my son was diagnosed with a language developmental disorder and ADHD that I found that the classroom environment he did not feel safe to learn to fail to you know express himself he felt like a failure and was very discouraged and that was not my son my son if if you met him you know would hug everyone was you know was just a happy kid but this classroom became a very discouraging environment and so again it wasn't an instant click that I realized the value that that emotional value of horse interaction because i was more on the physical side that i didn't immediately put my child once he was diagnosed with this disorder with horses it actually took a speech therapist that was doing some research well was actually working with autistic children in french camp and she was working with my son she said molly why aren't you doing anything with your with your son with the horses and i said well he doesn't have a physical disability his even his language development wasn't a speech disorder he would just drop letters it would process in his head he knew it but he just wouldn't verbalize it so it's more of a cognitive processing but then with adhd he just wouldn't focus he wouldn't concentrate in and he'd have a hard time just being still within the classroom and then would get discouraged and have some outburst and whatnot and she said well why don't you put him you know start writing 
riding with them and do things with them on the horse, which is just idiotic that I never thought of that. But that's not where my brain went to when I was thinking of, you know, the therapeutic side of equine interaction. But what I soon saw when he started working with a horse and riding, especially he loved, he's a very competitive kid, so we start doing horse shows and things like that, is all of a sudden this, the kid that was afraid to speak up in the classroom, was afraid to take risk in the classroom, was you know even terrified of test taking in that, was all of a sudden not afraid to go into show in a trail class that you know was a very difficult pattern with a horse that was being ornery. You know, he wasn't afraid to fail in that equine environment because it created an emotionally safe environment for him to try to sometimes succeed, sometimes to fail, but he felt confident enough to do that. And eventually over time, it translated to the classroom. You know, his test anxiety soon disappeared. I, I joke with, you know, he just graduated. And again, they wanted to put him in special ed. I said, no. Um, I said, he'll just become a number. They said he wasn't gonna graduate. Well, he just graduated and he obliterated my ACT score. Yes, Dr. Nicodemus, my son got a higher score than me. He's going off to college he's talking about graduate school he's on a full academic scholarship this is a kid that they did not want to or they didn't even think he was going to graduate and again it comes back to that environment that he was in allowed him to spread his wings it opened up it allowed him that horse to not judge him it tested him Oh, trust me, we have some very honorary, I, I, my students know this evil Appaloosa pony mare that I talk about to this day. Um, oh, she tested him all the time, but he was not afraid to fail, but he was afraid in the classroom. The, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about this and I'm thinking about we're all a product of our environment, mm -hmm. right? Yes. And so when you think about, you deal with drug and alcohol patients and Molly's got a lot of experience with her research side of that and we'll speak to that here soon but you start thinking about we're a product of our environment and some people i, I remember something you know I, my dad said to me a long time ago uh, in high school he's like i was having these i wasn't as good as an athlete as maybe my other buddies were and we were mm -hmm. the same age and he told me it's like some people bloom later and some people are peaking out now and i started thinking like when you were talking about that like we're all product of our environment in some capacity and whether it's building confidence early on because of the way our parents nurtured that or they didn't and you start thinking about people with drug alcohol addictions and we all we all revert to something right to cope mm -hmm. and so if you peel back the onion so to speak and get down to the nitty-gritty it all boils down to some some form of environment which i think is really interesting the other thing that keeps coming up is it's this confidence and i think that mm -hmm. once we get over that hurdle with the horse and the horse being this large animal mm -hmm. um we can start to see that transfer into relationships and to other things maybe that's it you know and that we're going to speak to the research side here soon but i wanted to kind of get out of the way just the the personal experiences mm -hmm. i think those are great great stories to think about and it's, it's really neat how the, the young man at the Palomino world was affected, could yeah. talk, to verbalize. Uh, your son was overcome ADHD problems and you overcome. Uh, it's interesting you said in the beginning that you went for a physical impairment with diabetes was supposed to help. Your, this form of therapy was supposed to help with diabetes, but you never spoke of that again. No. You talked about the mental aspect. Yeah. And that's why I want to kind of stop for just a second to come back mm -hmm. full circle to the emotional part because that's – that's really what you talked about. You didn't talk about the diabetes anymore. Mm -mm. No, and, and really, honestly, with all of these different disabilities, even if they're more physical, what we find is it is also mentally 
frustrating, discouraging, depressing, you name it. And so when we start to put individuals in, let's say, therapeutic interventions like physical therapy and whatnot, um, we have to realize there's a mental side to it, that there is this psychological side. When you're diagnosed with you know, cancer or some life-threatening disease or something, there is a psychological side and your body honestly can't recover no matter how good the drugs, the physical therapy and everything is until the psychological side works. And that's really something to me is that the horse just, it made me forget everything else that was going on in my life that honestly, when I'm stressed, my blood sugars go up. We can start talking about all the cortisol levels and whatnot <laughs> that we've done research on. I'm gonna tell you right now it goes up, but I can get on the horse and be physically active. My blood sugars are down. I don't think it's just the physical side of it. It is actually the emotional side of the psychological side that helps for my blood sugars because my stress levels drop. And so, you know, we've got to think of this, this whole multidimensional way of addressing some of these disabilities, whether it's cognitive, psychological, you know, physical or whatnot, that there is that mental aspect that needs to be addressed in that process. And I'm, I'm a product of that. What about the general guy? The general, that, that's where I kind of fall into, like my interest, we always leave the general guy. I think about the nine to five banker. Like, mm -hmm. Where's room for him in this? Is there room for him in this? Is there a need for that form of business creation for, for, the, for the average person? Absolutely. Um, what I see with professionals is they, especially professionals that are good at their job, they learn that language. They'll talk, they can talk banker all day week. They can talk lawyer every day. But then we see a lack of communication within their household. And it doesn't have to be to the level of just being chaotic. It just may not be effective communication. So coming out and working with the horse and just kind of letting them decompress and work out their own things silently with the horse. I mean, I've seen horses heal just not even, doesn't have to be big impairments, doesn't have to be big traumas, just a stressful day. Or, hey, I, I want to kind of refocus something or I want to know that I can still learn a new skill outside of my chosen career path mm -hmm. um, but I see that level of communication going back into the family because what they do is they go home and say honey guess what I did on uh, my pony I don't know uh, Betsy today and she's like well, what did you learn I learned how to trot something so simple but then it's what is trotting and so all of a sudden there's a whole new level of excitement and communication happening within their home and learning something new about your partner or something new about your dad or your little sister or whatever it may be um, just brings a whole different level of family unity um, and there's a place for the family in this yeah. isn't there absolutely there is yeah and that's the thing what, uh, let's just get that out of the way we're all broken people right we've all yes. made mm -hmm. yeah. crazy mistakes i don't think there and, is an average joe out there i right. think we, i think and i think now that's one thing that i think is good about today's society is we are having that open conversation and we're learning that everyone struggles in some capacity 100%. whether it's at home with the marriage or family or whatnot you know the poor kid that feels bullied you know that it may not be anything huge bully but just small little things we all have 
have struggles. And so that's where I could say that the horse in every situation, and that's what's so amazing, this therapeutic intervention above other, can address those in some certain way, whether it's just the high-stress banker or maybe the, per, the, the parent that maybe has a hard time interacting with their child that's become a teenager or interacting, a wife interacting with her husband. I think we all are having struggles. And the good part is, because I, I know I went through this myself at one point I back in 2015 I had an accident that caused a lot of physical related injuries and how and as a person that doesn't believe in the word no and stopping what I'm doing that was very hard for me and so I was sent to a psychologist um, for adjustment disorder and I honestly one of the things that I found was the stigma associated with that was horrific. In fact, I would go to the therapy center and I would joke about, oh yeah, I need mental health, yeah, da, da. But when you go to a therapy center with the horses, like to Katie's program, and I've, I've sent people there, and I, you find that you are in an environment where there is no stigma. Your therapist, which is the horse, does not judge you. This environment is allows for kind of that open conversation and that feeling of non-judgment. That's why we see right now it's extremely popular these um, on these apps, these these counseling apps, so that you can't be seen and no one knows about it. But again, that therapist is not directly seen and interacting with you, so they're missing things. But I can go, oh, I'm going to go ride horses. Yes, I might be going to Katie Center to, to deal with my adjustment disorder, but I'm going to ride horses, and I'm going to interact most of the time with the therapist, the horse. And that horse isn't going to judge me. He's going to be ornery some days. He's going to get after me some days. I'm, he's going to know when I'm just not going to put up with this. And I'm going to have this open conversation and communication with an animal that's not going to judge me in an environment that is just fun. It's interactive. And I'm going to explore my feelings in a safe environment. And that is very hard to do for, you can talk to any therapist in a normal therapy center program and they will tell you it takes a lot of time to break down those barriers where we can do it very quickly with the horse and in that envi equine environment and that, and that happens day to day if you're a trainer yes <laughs> i mean you're a trainer I, i've had so many times happen where i'm out riding and before i know it like i'm i'm mad about something or it's not communicating right or, or i have to and i always tell people i ride with if i'm teaching them don't analyze the horse analyze yourself mm -hmm. like figure out what what are you lacking in trying to get your point across and yeah. i think boy the horse exposes that <laughs> it, does. It, does. it exposes that pride that uh my way the highway kind of mentality and and to backtrack just a tick um i'm glad we got that out of the way that we're all broken because that's just the way it is we all got mis made mistakes and got to figure out how to become better people from thank thankfully the horse helps us with that I was going to add on to what you said about the horse being the therapist. Um, we see that, but what centers are failing at right now and why we're not seeing a, a huge improvement in some of that mental health area is because it takes somebody who also knows how to take the horse behavior. So you need somebody very well versed in the equine behavior, but being able to translate that to human 
health because if you can't like we we use horses but we're working with humans it's the humans that we keep talking about being impacted so we need somebody that can translate that and say yes this is what the horse is teaching you now how do we take that lesson and apply it to your life where you can continue to show improvement in your quality of life but if you have that person that can translate effectively um then the horses start they kind of tee up a lot of the work you need the intermediary to yes yes as the counselor coming out right that gotta throw it out there Right. If yeah. there's not the therapist there, then you're you're participating yes. in equine assisted happiness. Yeah, right. and that's something important. I think a lot of these new centers. I mean, back when I was first diagnosed with diabetes, there was no centers out there. Now they're mm-hmm. popping up right and left, but a lot of them don't actually have a mental health professional that's involved in it. And that's something to keep in mind. I, every day, I've, I being around the horse makes me feel better. But if we want to really get to the heart of the thing, we're going to utilize that horse to start to open up those barriers. Years. Mm-hmm. And then it's up to our mental health professionals like Katie to then start to utilize that opening to then start working on some of the deeper issues. So it's very important as people are listening to understand you do need, whether we're talking a mental health professional or let's say a, a licensed physical therapist, if you're talking the physical side of it, you need a health professional to then get it to the next level to really break down some of those additional barriers and whatnot. And and I think that's extremely important. And, and it, it can be life-changing with the right person setting up the right environment. Now, I'm going to, we're going to kind of get to the end of this. I want to leave, I'm going to come back to Molly, the student, because um, you're the youngest one in the room. <laughs> and, and I think that, uh, you hear so many stories about. I heard one the other day. I had a, a one of our students' parent told me that they knew when this student was young that she had a bad day because they'd find her at the barn. Mm-hmm. And so again, it just goes. When he said that, he had no idea what we were fixing to talk about today. But when he said that, I thought, how many times as kids, young adults, have we found just getting to the barn is therapeutic? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's that's always where I went, like, as a kid whenever I was upset, you know? And, I mean, I think there's a lot to do with it. I think, like, I don't know. I mean, the outdoor environment we already know is helpful. Horses also keep people active, which, I mean, I think there's also an important part of, you know, your mental health is, you know, staying active, staying outside. Um, and then, you know, just like, like Dr. Nicodemus was saying, like, horses, they don't judge. They They're very, you know, I think horses are inherently quieter beings than dogs are dogs Mm -hmm. are always excited to see horses actually prefer to be within like a an area of you they within you know sight and smell of you but don't necessarily always want to be touched and so they're very quiet animals and so i sometimes think that maybe that's just a place that allows people to slow down and reflect a little um and so i think maybe that's some of the benefit that people find that's that's it for me like i I never thought that the horse was necessarily in himself was the stress relief as it was just the engagement Mm -hmm. of being in the barn just a it's a place to let go right mentally i don't have to think about work i don't have to think about we talked about relationships or Mm -hmm. we don't think about whatever the stress may be but you know the other thing i I just now thought about that we we didn't talk about but it's kind of the last thing I'm going to leave on here today is what about the the reason that we're around horses is for the sense of achievement accomplishment goal setting and mm-hmm. that's me that's the I'm, I'm that type a driven objective <laughs> person and so I gotta have goals like these Molly and Hannah and some others have talked to me before and they're like why don't you just go go trail riding I'm like I don't mm-hmm. like trail riding yep <laughs> my son's the same way that's funny you say that um he's the same way it's like we couldn't do the therapeutic riding 
um, in a normal, unless there was competition involved. So you put the competition, all of a sudden there was meaning, there was purpose. And then of course, you know, then when he was getting the trophies and the champions and walking around with his belt buckle, that empowerment was so meaningful to him. So, you know, there are some people that, yeah, I could go out and trail ride and do whatever, but there's other ones. And that's nice that the horses offer that. There's others that really thrive off of the competition For side sure. of it. And some people have no interest in the competition aspect yes. of it. They just want to have fun with and, it. But, but you can do both. Can do I mean, both. you can do right. both. And we offer, you know, through a lot of these equine associations, that's something we looked at. There's a bunch of both for youth or adults where you can do, you can do like a recreational riding program with um, like the Palomino Horse Association, AQHA. My sons are involved in that. And I do. I have one son that likes more of the recreational and just hanging out at the barn and trail riding. My other one wants to do the competitive side. So like if he's not top in the nation and this, this and this, you know, he, he, can't stand himself um, but again he loves it and thrives off of that competition so there are many opportunities and different programs out there for people to get involved at all different levels and I think that's what's also wonderful about um, that equine interaction and being able to get involved with these different things is the opportunities that are available yeah and, even, and, and that's notwithstanding horse ownership we, there's, yeah. there's ways to do that without even owning a horse yeah but mm -hmm. uh, well, I think that's a great way to kind of wrap up our first episode here is just i think it's great input personal aspect professional aspect the one thing we did not get to that i definitely want to is where does research come into this equation um i don't want to get into episode two of a academic overwhelming for our viewers or thought you know and who research sometimes sounds real boring who wants to read an abstract right <laughs> but i do think that it it should be translatable, right? So that's kind of what we're gonna to get to today in the next episode. But I appreciate today that you guys put forth some transparency, some openness, some honesty about your involvement with horses. And I think that uh, it's a great place to end today is the outside of a horse is definitely for the inside, good for the inside of a man. And that might be stress relief, many other benefits. So thank y'all for being a part of it. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us on Taking the Reins. A special thank you goes to the Mississippi State Extension Service and the MSU Animal and Dairy Sciences Department. Please visit us on Facebook and Instagram at Taking the Reins Podcast.